This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Shraki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. Um, I have a guest from DQ Systems, Duan. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? You are the CPO or Chief Product Officer of the company. So, and we are interested to know about you a little bit and what the company does. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm originally from South Africa and I left South Africa in the late 80s and went to Europe where I started a startup in the search engine space that was acquired by OpenText, a Canadian company that's quite well known these days. That brought me over to the United States where I met up with Anik Ganguly, who's our chairman of the board here. And we both worked at OpenText for a while. And after our time at OpenText, I went off, did some various things, did a bit of my own consulting, startup consulting, and then Anik introduced me to the CEO of DQ Systems, Preeti Kumar, who is really a, a pioneer in the space of accessibility. She inspired me to join her on this journey about 12 years ago to try to really take accessibility from this backwater, strange thing that nobody did into the mainstream. So over time, what we've really focused on is taking something that was a person or perhaps a couple of people at a large organization working in a broom cupboard, trying to get the organization to pay attention to accessibility into something that is part of what developers and development teams do day in, day out. So on that journey, we've done quite a lot of things. We've written the Axe Core open source engine, which is downloaded over 600 million times is included in uh, tools from Google. In Google Chrome, for example, Lighthouse includes our open source engine in it. Tools from Microsoft include that. So it's the most widely used set of tools for accessibility testing. We've really tried to build not only the best tools around that for organizations to make themselves self-sufficient in accessibility, but also the best practices for how they can create the change within the organization to really make that accessibility stick. So our organization is, we're really software people at our heart, but we really also realized that along the way, in order to achieve our mission of digital equality, we really needed to teach organizations how to change and adopt their software development processes to adopt the right software development methodologies and the right tools and the right processes to make accessibility something that really 
is sustainable and is a part of how they create software rather than being something that they see as extra, something that's a burden and something that's after the fact. And, and along the way, what we've really learned is that accessibility can be a lens through which you look at your customer and your user problems and where you actually end up creating solutions that are better for everybody by just looking at it through the lens of how would a person with this sort of ability or with that sort of disability use things. So, so that's what we are today. We're a, an organization that is really trying to make accessibility sustainable for large organizations. Interesting. And then when we look at the SaaS company's ecosystem, would you say at a certain size, they normally would get involved to solve that problem and bring more accessibility to their product? Or would you say it really depends more on the culture of the company and the type of the product and not about the size of the organization or the product? It's definitely a mixture of those things. We see a couple of trends going on. So definitely accessibility today is a lot better known than it was 10, 12 years ago when I first started working with Preeti. And in those days when we would go to a conference or trade show or something, a mainstream conference, and we would talk to people about accessibility, they would say, we, you know, we'd ask them, is your application or your website accessible? And they'd say, yeah, you can get to it just via the internet, right? And then when you sort of explain to them about people with disabilities, like blind people and, and not being able to see, and you could see that this was a foreign concept. That is no longer the case. In particular, in the design part of the organization, there's quite a lot of awareness about this. So what the one trend that we see is you have a lot of the more forward-thinking developers and designers within organizations wanting to do this and trying to bring it from a grassroots level into their organization. So if you're at a small organization and you have the right sort of people, you can get it such that they are doing accessibility very well. And then the other trend that we're really seeing is that because of, certainly in North America, the legal environment that we find ourselves, but also because of the opportunity with 26% of Americans having some sort of disability and 15% of the world population having a disability, there's really a big opportunity out there. And there are very large organizations like Microsoft or Citigroup or PNC, large banks, et cetera, that are making this a requirement for all of their suppliers. So you see this ripple effect. You see, first of all, these organizations starting to adopt it, but then you see the ripple effect to all of their suppliers that are being forced to make things accessible. And, and this is rippling through the entire SaaS industry right now. So you definitely see at a scale level, it is the larger organizations, but they're starting to ripple that through the entire ecosystem. Interesting. And you, when, when we had a quick chat earlier, I asked you, if you were about to write a book, what would be the topic? And then you said, yeah. I already have wrote that book and you showed me the book. Yeah. When you wrote the book, what was the audience in mind that you wrote the book? Whom should read the book you wrote about this topic? Actually, there were three audiences because I felt like in working with organizations, I, I saw this dysfunction. It's a dysfunction within organizations. There are three categories of people, very influential. Well, some of them very influential in what's going on in the development of the software and SaaS, et cetera. And one of whom was really trying to get the other two groups to listen to each other. And the problem with the person trying to get the other two groups to listen to each other is they didn't really understand those other two groups well. 
So the three audiences are accessibility subject matter experts, the people who really know accessibility inside and out. They know how to make web applications or mobile applications accessible, but they maybe aren't, they've never been a software developer themselves. So they don't really understand software development processes. In particular, say go back 10 years ago, they didn't really understand agile software development processes as well. So they were proposing things to the software organization and the software organization was looking at them like they had three heads because they're like, that's not the way we do things. So for example, one of the things they were saying is, well, you have to do comprehensive manual testing using screen readers on all the different platforms. That's only something that can be done manually. And it's going to take three days of testing in order to do that comprehensively for your application. And the developers are trying to put software out two or three times a day. And they're saying, well, there's just no way we can do that. The other approach they would take is, well, okay, we'll do the testing for you and we'll send you a report. But by the time the report arrives, the software has changed so much that the report is out of date. So, so that was the one audience is to get those subject matter experts to understand software development and agile software development, such as the things that they were proposing to the software development teams were things that were practical. They were designed to work in the agile development process. So there are nine practices that I have in my book, which are specifically things that the software developers and software development teams can do to make accessibility easier, to make it sustainable, and to make it affordable, right? And so I wanted to teach those to the subject matter experts. On the flip side, what I wanted the software developers to understand is accessibility. Like, why is it important? And what sort of disabilities are there? And to understand the subject matter expert side of it so that they start to build empathy and understanding for people with disabilities and understand the why. Because I think when developers and designers don't really understand how somebody with a disability uses the internet or a mobile phone, it's very difficult for them to integrate that into their design thinking, right? They have no idea. It's like thinking about aliens, right? How does an alien read or do something? We, we just don't know because we don't know anything about them. So just opening the eyes of the, the software developers to that, and then also giving them practical things that they could adopt to then integrate that into their, in a comprehensive way into the agile development process. And then the third audience was management because management didn't have any idea what it's going to cost or what the impact of accessibility is going to be on their overall organization. So what I wanted to do was paint a picture for the execs as this is what a successful, mature accessibility practice looks like so that they can then start to think about the budget that they need to make available, not only to sustain that, but also the change that's necessary. I wanted to make them aware of the change that was necessary so that they could practically budget for making that change happen. So it was really written for those three audiences. As a SaaS company or a product builder, let's say I have built a software product. Is there any particular tool automatically that can really go scan my product and come back and say, these are some of the issues from accessibility that I need to pay attention? Or still we have to go through some services and some real people need to review the application and provide you, you know, that kind of report. I understand that definitely human will do much better job than any software at this point. 
what I'm talking about, maybe some of these utilities, not just the simple website, but a more comprehensive application that can be reviewed by something more automated. So people can at least get that opinion faster, better, cheaper, and it brings down the barrier of at least reviewing the application and the product to better understand how far they are from being more accessible? The answer is yes, there are tools, but more importantly, there are also practices that you can adopt because testing is, on the one hand, it's a one-off thing that you do, right? So when you first create a new piece of functionality, you have to very often, in particular, if you're trying to be agile and you're trying to release software often, you have to try to automate as much of that as possible. So from a functional perspective and and from a performance perspective and from a a lot of other non-functional perspectives, what that means is you need to create some new tests, right? And you do that the first time, once. And then you want to run those tests over and over and over again. And if nothing has changed, those tests will run and they'll pass. And when things change and break, then you have to go back and figure out what to do. Or if you change the functionality, you then have to obviously adapt your tests to take that into account. So there's nothing different about accessibility, except for the following thing, very similar to performance and to security. There are some things that are kind of like pre-built acceptance tests that you can integrate into your automation right out of the bat. And I talked earlier about our 600 million downloaded open source module. That's a great example of something that is designed specifically for HTML-based applications that you can integrate into any existing test suite, which will find about 57% of the types of problems that, that exist. And then over and above that, if you've integrated accessibility into your design process from the beginning, what we teach you is the practices that you can adopt whereby you can automate the rest and you can leverage semi-automated tools to then build the regression suite where the rest of it can be automated. And I say the rest of it because everybody has to choose to what degree are we going to fully automate. It's expensive to fully automate. So do you try to achieve 100% automation or 99.9% automation? Or are you going for something like 80% automation in general? And then there's some aspect of your of your testing which is still done manually and maybe not done every time, but done less frequently, that same trade-off applies when it comes to accessibility. It's possible to automate 100% of it, but it's not always cost-effective to automate 100% of it. So with the right set of practices and the right set of tools to help you during the development process to find the things while you're coding and fixing it. So for example, we have linters that integrate into VS Code, which find accessibility issues while you're typing. So you're typing code and it'll be analyzing the code in real time and give you instantaneous feedback. Now that can only find a certain small percentage of things automatically, right? But that's the first automated tool to use. The next thing over and above that is something like AxeCore, which can find up to 57%. Then once you're a little bit more mature with the development of your feature, you can layer on the Axe Developer Tools product to help you in a semi-automated fashion find some of the other issues while you're writing, essentially, while you're writing your tests, your automated tests, you can use that to validate things. And then that gets you to the 80% mark. And then the question is, do you want to go higher? You can, but you might want to just stop at that point at that 80% level, which we find a lot of our customers doing is just saying, 
we're going to take it to that 80% level and then we'll do regular spot checks on, on the rest of it to find some of the other issues. Now, if you're a SaaS company nowadays, everything is so global. At one point, sooner or later, you get to the market that essentially you don't know where the user comes from. And sometimes before you know, you are serving users everywhere from different countries. And so the world has become smaller from that perspective. And we can not just, you know, say, okay, we are going to just live within our own state or within our own country even. And you have to really be mindful of what's going on in the world. In many aspects, Europe has shown that they are more advocating for consumers when it comes to SaaS and software. There are many regulations there that sometimes we get behind in the U.S., like privacy rules, for example, right? So they pay some attention to it, and sometimes even they lead, and then we have to go there and adapt and then, you know, provide those is it the case with accessibility or in the in this particular case, is there any country that is leading and other countries are following? Or essentially, from your perspective, it is kind of distributed, it's kind of balanced? Well, the country that leads is the United States. And that is all pretty much founded around the Americans with Disabilities Act, right? So there's a lot of problems with the approach that the United States have taken in that the Americans with Disability Act is based on the foundation that they expect the people with disabilities to file lawsuits. So the court system in America has led to a lot of the activity that's going on. It's led to a lot of the innovation. It's led to a lot of the activity, right? So for many, many years, the United States was at the forefront because of the ADA. And then the second thing in the United States was the US government's Section 508, procurement law, which required that all applications be accessible if, if they were being sold to the US government. Those two things have really put the United States kind of at the forefront, certainly in the beginning. Now, recently, Europe has started to catch up and started to accelerate in this regard. So the, Europe now has a law that covers all public entities where they're required to do certain things like a report on their accessibility to the European Commission, etc. And Norway, although they're not officially part of the EU, is very, very forward thinking. They also have an agency called Divi, which is very active and they have laws which are very strong, where you can have very high fines from this agency if you're not accessible. And it applies to every company, not just to the public government. So, so you're starting to see in Europe more regulations come up but in general today, Europe is a little bit behind when it comes to non-public entities. They've caught up and you could argue that they've taken overtaken the Section 508 ruling in the United States. In the non-public and the private entities, they still lag a little bit behind. There are other countries like Australia, which are pretty advanced, and Japan, which are reasonably advanced. But beyond that, beyond Europe, Japan and Australia, Canada is doing pretty well as well. The rest of the world is is still playing catch up. Many SaaS applications are there, and most of these SaaS providers are smaller companies and smaller products. That's just the reality of it. And some of them are big players. I'm pretty sure the ones that are bigger and more mature from product perspective, they have gone through all of these, you know, and then they have done a good job. But when it comes to zillions of these smaller SaaS companies, 
if you wanted to provide them some kind of suggestion or advice that this is the low-hanging fruit, at this is a good place to start. And that is not too difficult to do and is something very doable. What would have been that kind of improvement that, you know, it's the easiest way to get there and just do something more impactful, meaningful, even if they don't have resources at the moment to really do everything perfect from accessibility in their product. I wish it was as, as, as good as you say amongst the big, the big ones, because we see quite varied accessibility, even within single organizations, even within organizations like, say, Microsoft, which is really trying to try and do a good job. There's still a lot of variation, especially where there's a lot of legacy stuff. So big organizations still have a lot of work to do. Let me change, if I could, your question just a little bit. What would I say to somebody starting a SaaS business today, right? They've decided they're going to listen to your podcast because they've got this great idea and they want to learn all the best practices. What would I say to them today? The thing I would say to them today is the best thing you can do is integrate accessibility thinking into your design because 70% of the potential things you can do wrong are influenced by the design or the designer. So if the designer takes the right steps, they can provide the information and provide the design that makes it very easy for the developers to do the right thing down the line, right? If you've got a design that's already been coded and you find out that there's something fundamentally really difficult to make accessible, maybe you can technically make it accessible, but you can't make it easy to use for people with disabilities, it's very expensive to go back mm. and change that, right? The best thing you can do is anything new that you're developing today, integrate accessibility into the design process, number one. Second of all, make those tools that I talked about, those linters and those automated testing tools and those semi-automated tools, make those available to your developers and make it a requirement for them to show that they've tested with those tools and cleaned all, up all the problems. Because if you do that, you can eliminate 80% of the problems, right? So now you've got any new code that's going into your code base has eliminated 80% of the things that they possibly could have done wrong. It's not very expensive. That would be my number one and my number two recommendation to anybody today. So new organizations, start with your design. If, you're, if you already have an organization today, start with your new code and make sure that your new code that you're introducing is making things better, your new features, your new code, your new websites, etc. Very good advice, especially the way I understand and the way you explained, the trend is upward. So it's going to be more and more requirements on the buyer side in the future about these requirements. So for newer SaaS companies, they are starting, it's the right time to really pay attention to it. So five years, 10 years down the road, then they are in a much better shape rather than every year, you know, they see that and then it's challenging because they already have developed something that is much more difficult to really go and change it versus from the get-go, they can just have that mindset and implement some of those enhancements. Yes, yeah, and especially if you're trying to sell to large organizations or through large organizations to their customers, right? If you're providing a SaaS application or service that gets embedded into a larger experience at a big government agency or at a big bank or a big insurance company or something like that, it can be a differentiator for you if you can say from the outset, we are accessible and here's the proof. 
here's our process, here's our development process, here's how we embed accessibility into that development process, and here's the proof that we provide every step along the way that it's accessible. Here's how we manage our defects. Here's how we deal with the inevitable things that we do forget and because nobody's perfect. So even DQ, we, we don't put out software with, without accessibility bugs, but we have very strict ways of how we deal with them, right? What happens if that bug is found internally after the fact, after we shift software versus if the bug is reported by a customer after we've shipped software? We treat those with a different level of, of severity, right? And, and the speed at which we fix those things. So having processes in place for all of that can really be a differentiator during the sales process and with large organizations and governments. We have gone through a lot of changes during the last 10, 20 years in software world. Of course, software is new technology and 10 years is a lot of years in technology. Yeah. So yeah. there have been mobile, for example, revolution, I would say that we have smartphones and smart devices, tablets. We have the edge computing and sensors and IoT feeding a lot of data and helping in many areas. We have had AI and machine learning and more algorithms that can really automate things and doesn't need to be manual anymore. What have been the impact of even we had cloud and just the deployment is different than old days that you had to really go and just on-prem, you know, install and use the software. So many of these enhancements, many of these I would say new capabilities, of course, have helped us in general to have a better user experience and utilize software. But what have been the impact on the accessibility from your perspective? Are these new technology advancements making things better or it is something that now it just adds more complexity or it's a mix sometimes helps, sometimes it just adds more complexity. Yeah, it's been definitely a mixed bag. So let's take mobile, for example, you know. So when Apple is very good at accessibility. So when they designed the iPhone, they designed it with accessibility built in. I couldn't even imagine, I couldn't think about like, how's a blind person going to use a touch device? It was, you know, but they, brilliant innovation in creating voiceover and how they were able to create such a great experience. And what the, the iPhone did was it literally gave blind people, for example, a new lease on life. Now you have this device that can talk to you with maps in it, connected to GPS and the cellular network that mean that you can walk around in places that you've never been before and be pretty secure that you know where you are, you know where you're going, at any time, you can call somebody to come pick you up or a taxi to come pick you up or, or Uber to come pick you up if uh, you don't want to walk anymore. It really created a, a new lease on life. you know. But then Android came along and Google wasn't so good at accessibility at first. So they didn't even have a screen reader at first. So the Android phone took a while to really catch up with where the iPhone was and created a lot of barriers for people. And because they were cheaper phones, a lot of people with disabilities, some of them don't have as high a spending potential. That's not true across the board, but there are a, a segment of the people with disabilities that, that definitely could only really afford the Android phones. So they were definitely disadvantaged and it took a long time to catch up. And then because the standard that we use in accessibility called Web Content Accessibility Guidelines was designed 
to be format agnostic. So you have PDF principles and rules and, and things like that and success criteria, but it was less able to adapt itself easily to mobile phones. And so it took a lot longer for people to figure out how to translate these guidelines that have been designed for the web and make them apply to mobile phones. So for a long time, there was a, there was a gap there in, in terms of knowledge and understanding for how to make web applications accessible on all different devices. And we've, we've overcome that now. So that's an example of, of a mixture, right? Some of that new technology really made, made it much better. And some of it made things go backwards to some degree and then it took us a while to figure out how to catch up with. It's very much the same with SaaS because what SaaS has also done is it's made the cycles a lot faster. It's made it a lot cheaper to do things. You can have 10 developers doing builds and testing in parallel and things that were unthinkable. So it sped up the cycles to such a degree, which is great. But that also then, until people could figure out, and one of the motivations for me to write my book, how do we integrate accessibility successfully into the design process, it meant that for a lot of organizations, they went backwards in accessibility, you know, because they were like, we don't know how to do that at this scale. And then the third way I'll say where it's mixed is because organizations are able to use a lot more different SaaS services to make up an offering. Now, both as the provider of kind of the combined experience you have a much more complex thing you have to manage. You know, you're responsible from an accessibility perspective for the entire experience, but some of it has been provided by this company, some of it's been provided by this company, some of it by that company, by this provider. We use this software to generate our PDFs. And, and so there's all these pieces of your experience that you're trying to provide that may have very different levels of accessibility and as somebody responsible for this in the organization, it's made it a lot more complex to manage, while at the same time, of course, making those experiences overall much better for everybody. But it's a challenge. I think there's, there's probably similar challenges for security in SaaS, right? It's the same sort of thing. It's been a mixed bag. We've opened the door to a lot more complex security management problems that we're only now starting to really get our hands around how to manage some of these things. Fantastic. As my last question, I would like to ask you, if you have some recommendations for us on any book that you liked and you found it useful. Yeah, well, of course, my own book, but at some point <laughs> I have to stop promoting myself. Uh, <laughs> now, there's really two books. They're a little bit old, but I keep coming back to them because of just how well written they are and how they've persisted, right? And the, the first one is Extreme Programming Explained, the first edition. <laughs> and I just loved the way that that didn't in a non-dogmatic way, it presented the pros and cons of various different approaches to doing what we now call agile, right? At the time, they called it extreme programming. And I just loved that approach because for me, it was about, yeah, here are specific things you can do, but here's why you're doing them. So you can think about them too. And if they're not working for you, you can adapt them. I love that about that book. And the second book I really love is, is Lean UX. I mean, Lean Everything, I think, is great. But Lean UX in particular and about how it, it teaches you to adopt an approach of experimentation and minimal implementation so that you can iterate quickly. And I think in today's environment in SaaS, where we're all doing a lot to scale our growth and we're doing a lot of experimentation, I just think that book lays a foundation that if you can implement those principles, you, it really lays a foundation for you to be to being able to iterate around getting your SaaS business going. So those are my two recommendations. Fantastic. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dilan, again for joining us for this conversation. It was great having you here. Well, thank you, Aman. It was great to be here. 
Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ishragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.